Ava Addison's. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we do appreciate it. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Hey, Will, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Good, good. Um, as Sherry B is over in Studio CC. Hey, she Sherry, here. how are you doing? Present. Good to see you <laughs> um, with that royal wave over there. That one was more like a. We, we own the sports team wave. It was like, she was like, like the wife of the commissioner. Yay, uh. hey, you know? um, hey, look, we got a, we got a really lot to get to today. And a really lot. Wow. Um, I know just cause you feel like it. <laughs> got a lot to get to today. And uh, so I want to make the best use of our time. We've got a guest. We have rescheduled. You remember we were going to have Jolene Philo on with us, who is the author, the co-author along with Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, co-author of the book, uh, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families. Yeah. And we had a little bit of a wire cross there. And so we didn't do that interview on October 2nd, but we were successful in rescheduling it. So it is rescheduled for today. Sure. So in the second and third segments, we look forward to speaking with Jolene Philo. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and let me also say that I have, I have about four books to give away today mm. uh, for people who are listening. If you have a child with special needs or if you are close friends with a family and their kid has special needs, mm-hmm. um, then we want to give you an opportunity to get a copy of this book. I would also say, and, and people are like, well, keep it, <laughs> keep expanding it, Mika. Um, <laughs> I was going to, I was thinking if you, if you work in your church's nursery or if you're, if you're involved uh, with kids, you know, I guess. <laughs> yeah. People like, okay, so everybody, everybody, meek, get everybody meek. I, I only have four of them, <laughs> but I trust the Lord. You I, you know, book? you know, my idea is so much so like to let people who really need these resources get them. Yeah. Like that's my heart. And it's one of those topics where, you know, you're always looking for a good resource. That's exactly you know, because, right. I mean, exactly. right. And who doesn't trust uh, the wisdom? So many uh, families have benefited from the wisdom of Dr. Gary Chapman with the five right. love languages. So when you think of the fact that we have untold numbers of hurting families, some families who are just on the beginning step of learning that their kid has special needs and they're going to have to operate differently. And so if, you know, just for us recalling what that was like, you kind of go through this period of time where you're like, you're almost in denial Mm. and you think, no, these maybe just are behavioral problems. Like, you know, and then you, you kind of get to that place where you're like, no, this is a real deal and we got to figure out what we're going to do about it. And so anyway, I just, my prayer by God's grace is that those who really need this resource, this book, will be able to get it today. So make sure you keep listening in the second and third segments. Uh, we'll give two away each each segment, uh, Sherry B, if that's okay with you. Make sure we open the phone lines up and uh, two books in each segment. Yeah. And I'll just let Sherry B choose um, the callers. So she raised her eyebrows. She's like, don't put that on me. Well, I, <laughs> you know, I'm trusting it's that the Lord Sherry's will lead you. If you don't get a book. I'm, I'm trusting yes. that the Lord, will, the Lord will lead you, Sherry B. And so, uh, so we'll just see, we'll just see how that all turns out, but that's coming up in the second and third <laughs> segment. In the first segment, um, let's talk about what is making headlines all across this country. And, uh, especially in Christian circles, 
as as parents, faithful parents, are watching are watching our parental rights erode in mm. this country. Mm. We are watching our parental rights erode. Which, by the way, let me say this: uh-huh. we got a call several weeks back. I take our calls very seriously, as you know, Will. Right? We yeah. got a call several weeks back from a gentleman, a brother who said you mentioned parental rights, and he said there are no parental rights in the Constitution. And at the time when I was listening to him, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I mentioned any parental rights. Like, I don't think I said, you know, and talking about constitutional rights or something like that. And so anyway, I went back and listened to that because okay. I was like, whenever I whenever I'm not sure, you know, it's not just about being right. It, right. It, you know what I mean? So I went back and I listened to it. And the brother was right. I, it was in the article that I was reading. Oh. And the article said something to the effect of our constitutional rights as parents. So he was absolutely right that I did mention it, it was in the article. And so his point was, we don't have any constitutional protections uh, for parental rights. And, mm-hmm. and so he, he and, and I think we were on the same page. What he was advocating for was how we fight and contend that there should be provisions that parents have the rights over their children and should be able to protect and govern as, as they see fit. Mm-hmm. And I was coming from the angle of, no, the Bible tells us to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And yeah. so anyway, to that brother, I hope you're listening. Um, as much as it pains me to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Just playing with you. You were right. You were right. And yeah. so um, you heard what you heard. What you heard. Yeah. And so anyway, I wanted to come back and, and say that. But so many days had gone by because we were out of town and all of that stuff. But anyway, since we're on topic with that. Uh, so we're watching the erosion of our parental rights in this country. Um, you know, parents, you, the question then becomes, how much are we going to take? Right. How much are we going to allow to be taken from us. Exactly. You know, and this is this is not hyperbole. This is not just, you know, sounding an alarm that is unwarranted. This is if you have a father in the United States of America who loses the right to protect his child from imminent danger. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of country we're living in. And it's been proven. I mean, I know we're going to get into the story, but it's been proven that the, ch- the child that we're going to talk about is in danger. He's in based danger. Based upon like... Uh, uh, stats and science. I Medicine mean, what says happens. he's in danger. Yeah. Um, psychologists say he's in danger. Sociologists say he's in danger. So he's, he's in danger. Now, it's increasingly more difficult for us to find medical professionals who will publicly assert that little James is in danger. Right. But we know it to be true. We know that when you have a little child... Who's and I, I want to encourage you if you go and do and and we'll get into the story. So the a, a jury ruled uh, in Dallas, Texas, against a dad who's trying to save a seven-year-old son from gender transition. That's the headline. That's the story in a nutshell. And we're going to kind of get into it in the time that we have in this segment. But let me say this, and then we'll and we'll break this story down and and get into it with some of the details. And also, I want to let you hear a conversation between Jeff and his son James. Um, one of the one of the one of the most disturbing conversations you will hear that will break your heart, and we want you to hear it on Airing the Addisons because we have to understand what is at stake. This is not right. made up in the dad's head. Right. You understand? He is fighting a real enemy, and it is a clear and present danger. But before we do that, let me say this. There is an episode, and I found this episode several months back on YouTube because of the, the whole discussion. We're talking about transitioning and all these things, and you've got the liberal elites who hold up I am Jazz or Jazz Jennings, as the boy mm-hmm. is called, as sort of like the archetype of like, look, we can successfully change chil- children's gender. If, they're, if their parents get, get on this early on, then they can live a healthy life. So if there's an episode on YouTube and you just have to go and you have to look it up, 
But uh, the Jazz Jennings series that I think replaced the Duggars on TLC, you'll remember. <laughs> yeah. Remember when the yeah. Duggars got axed? Uh, and, and so the, the I Am Jazz replaced them. Um, there, was a, there was an episode of this boy who has reached the age where he has decided to undergo um, surgical reassignment, mm. a surgical reassignment procedure. And here's what I think that they are hoping that you as the viewing audience would not pick up on for those of, the, those of us who would watch it or who would be aware of what's going on. He's, he's consulting with all of these doctors. And there is one doctor who says, now, I, I, if you've got little kids listening, I want you to be very careful here, okay, because this is not going to be suitable for young ears, okay? But because this boy's parents began administering puberty-blocking hormones to him at a very young age, mm -hmm. not only did they stunt his maturation, but they physically affected his body so much so that one of the doctors that he's consulting with who is willing to do the surgery says, and they allow the cameras in for this. Hmm. The doctor says, now this is a 17, 18-year-old boy, mm -hmm. right? Says that, and excuse me people, but this is what we're dealing with, okay? Says that your male part, mm -hmm. essentially, is so underdeveloped that we do not have enough to work with even to reconstruct mm. your anatomy. <laughs> Guys, man, I'm sorry. I got to keep I got to keep it together, Meek. Keep it together. That is child abuse. Yeah, and it's wicked. That is that is wicked yeah. child abuse. Yeah. And I'm going and I was I was watching this on YouTube and you know, and I and I I'm thinking to myself, "Wait a minute. Wait. Do we Am well, I the only one who thinks there's a problem with that? Well, the thing is, is like you said, and they, they showed this on the on that program or whatever, because they're at a point where they don't care if it's out there now. This is like, you know, hey, you know what I'm saying? This is what it is. Yes. And, and so they're at a point where it's I, I, I really believe it's like reprobate. It's just like, hey, we do anything that we want and we're right. proud and we're, you know, and hey, this is what, what has happened, and we don't care if people think this is outrageous. So you've got a, you've got a 17, 18-year-old young man who has, at this point, prior to the surgery, male genitalia that looks like a toddler. Mm -hmm. And this is progress in the United States of America? Man. This is where, this is where we're going? This is what we want? This is, we want to strip Jeff Younger of his parental rights in Dallas, Texas. We want to strip him of his parental rights so that young James can be stripped of his manhood Man. by his insane mother <laughs> who said that she believed her son desires to be a girl since the age of two. Come on, man. Come, come on, man. You know how many people's two. kids want to be dinosaurs and want to be monkeys? Exactly. Want to be chimpanzees? <laughs> I mean, that two years, two, two. But you, what two-year-old is going to know? I, I'm telling you, this is this oh is ridiculous. Goodness. Look, I, look I'll crazy. say this. We, we have had, look, because you know, and, and I, I'll do quick because we want to play. I want people to hear Jeff and James communicating. But I'll say this with our young Sam Witt. Mm -hmm. um, because we homeschool and because our kids spend an incredible amount of time with me, it is not, it's not uncommon. I think some other moms may have experienced this where you see your young son grab a purse because you're grabbing a purse, mm -hmm. right? Or they grab one of the sister's purses because they see them grabbing that. Right. So you know what we do? We say, no, boys don't carry that's purses. Not for that's not for boys. That's boys for girls. Don't, those are, that's for girls. But here's your Iron Man backpack. 
Exactly. Okay. No. So no, you're not. You're not. You don't. You don't put on a handbag. Right. You understand? That's called parenting. Right. That's called. That's called leadership. Right. All right. Let's listen to this conversation between James and uh, Jeff and his son James. Here we go. Well, you're a boy, right? No. I'm a girl. Who told you you're a girl? Mommy. <clears throat> when did she tell you you were a girl? Cause I love girls. Oh, I see. So, mommy told you you were a girl. Uh huh. Um, any does mommy um do anything else like with a girl with you? Mhm. Like what? Like chesses. What What does she do? She do puts them on me. She puts dresses on you. Oh wow! And what else does she do? She buys my hairbands. Uh huh. And. She- and and she gets me hair clips. Oh, hair clips? Okay. Mm-hmm. What else? Some microphones. What else? Like a skeleton. Does she do anything with your fingers? Yeah. What? She paints my nails. So that why does she do that? Cause I love my nail polish. Oh, so mommy puts you in a dress and puts nail polish on you. Mm-hmm. And and what does mommy tell you? She tells me I'm a girl. Oh, okay. Do you think you're a girl? Uh huh. You do. Is that why you wear this so that you can have long hair? Mm hmm. Okay. So the little boy has a towel on his head with held in place by a headband. Mm-hmm. And um, guys, that's child abuse. Yes. For it a is. mother to take her child and her son. And paint his fingernails and um, put headbands on him and put clips in his hair and dress him up in dresses is child abuse. And if we lose our ability in the country that we live in to tell the truth, to say that that is child abuse, there is no hope for our nation. We are descending into a clear or actually it's murky, but it's clear that it's murky. Mm. It is an abyss. Mm. It is an abyss. And I'm going to tell you, there is no question in my mind that what we are experiencing right now in our country is a type of judgment. Yeah. It is a judgment because Christians have retreated. We have, man, man, guys, we got to stand up. We got to stand up for this father and his son. We got to speak out. We got to share the story. We got to talk about it on social media. This is child abuse. I don't care who doesn't like it. Welcome to Bigot Hour. It's wrong. (laughs) It's wrong. Here we are. All right, we got to grab the break. Erin the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. You've been my savior, sustainer when I'm at my end. My healer, redeemer again and again. My mother and my father, brother, sister, and friend. Everything I needed, Lord, you've always been. Oh God of heaven, we repent what we have become in the United States of America. We repent, Lord God, we repent. Forgive us for what we have done in this country. Forgive us for what we've turned it into. Forgive us, those of us who have professed the name of Jesus Christ, but we have been silent. Mm. For those of us who have bought into the lies, Lord, forgive us, forgive us. And, And we don't deserve it. We do not deserve it. But we humbly ask for mercy in our nation. Lord God, would you allow us, 
a continued open window that not only will we get the gospel out, Lord God, but that we would build the future of the church in our own homes. Lord God, forgive us. Forgive us. We're in trouble, Mm -hmm. and we confess that. Lord, we confess that. We need you, Lord. We need you in the United States of America when a father loses his parental rights Mm -hmm. um, to protect his son. Lord God, we are desperate. Please, Lord. Please, Lord, have mercy on the United States of America. Yes, Lord. And I ask this, again, not because we deserve it, Lord, but (laughs) we just call on your mercy, Lord. We plead for your mercy in our nation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Um, Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We, we, um, not only do we want to expose darkness and we want to compel you um, to, to take a stand and to speak out against wickedness, um, but we also want to encourage you as you are holding the line in yeah. your family. Amen. So we want to do two things at one time, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, um, uh, we want to pull the nails out of the fence and then we want to <laughs> give you some of the paint to help kind of, you know. <laughs> so anyways, uh, welcome back. Let me just say this. We're not going to be able to go back into the story about little seven-year-old James mm. and his father, Jeff. But uh, you can go to savejames.com to learn more. Yeah. Savejames.com to learn more. And if you forget anything that we've talked about, any links that we mentioned, also know that we put links in our show notes. So mm. when you go back to listen to this podcast, you go to AFR.net, there'll be links to the stories that cover this um, in detail so you'll understand exactly what happened in Dallas. Um, exactly what's at stake Dallas. in our country. It, it just seems so, so a, I mean, crazy. You know? What do you do with that? And also, if you want to email us, you can email us at addisons at AFR.net. Addisons at AFR.net. Oh, boy, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. I grieve. I grieve for my nation. Uh, let me do this. Let me, because we've got four books that we want to give away and want to do two in this segment and two in the next segment and then get right into our interview. We've been looking forward to this. I, I hate that we had a little kerfluffle, but we worked it out, and so I'm so grateful for that. Um, the number, if you want to pick up a copy of the book, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, I tell you what we'll do. We'll take caller number seven and caller number 12. How about we do that, Sherry B? That way we don't just have the lines just open. Uh, we'll take caller number seven and caller number 12, and we'll give two copies away in this hour, and then in the next hour we'll, we'll give segment. a couple copies. Next segment. Sorry. <laughs> next segment we'll give a couple copies away. Here's the number, 888 888- Five eight nine eight eight four zero. If you or someone you love needs a copy of Sharing Love Abundantly and Special Needs Families, then we want this book to be a resource to you and mm-hmm. to your family. So call her number seven and call her number 12 at 888-589-8840. Uh, we'll get copies of the book. And then in the next segment, we'll give away a couple more copies. Let's go right into it. Our yeah. guest, um, Jolene Philo who has a master's in education, is the author of five resource books uh, for the special needs community, including A Different Dream from My Child, Mm. The Caregiver's Notebook, and Does My Child Have PTSD? She co-authored Every Child Welcome, a ministry handbook for including kids with special needs, along with the co-author Katie Weatherby. And uh, during her 25-year career as an educator, Jolene collaborated with special education teachers to mainstream children in her elementary classroom. She joins us today to talk about the resource that she has co-authored along with Dr. Gary Chapman, mm-hmm. um, Sharing Love Abundantly and Special Needs Families, the five love languages 
for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. Jolene, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be with you. Jolene, we, as you know, have so much hurt in special need families or special needs families, and there's so much confusion by onlookers. They don't know exactly where to start or where mm-hmm. to begin, and, and so often the parents are sort of like, we don't really know where to start or where to begin. Yeah. Um, tell me what helped shape this book as a resource for families, why you and Dr. Chapman felt it necessary to write it. Well, there are just so many different challenges and joys that parents raising kids with special needs face, and we felt that they needed to be directly addressed, and between Dr. Chapman's expertise in the love languages and my experience both in teaching in the special ed area and having a child who was born with special needs and a father who had a disability as I was growing up, uh, we made a good team to reach this audience. I'm so glad I'm so glad you did. I think that we are increasingly realizing that we need to pay attention to families that experience and I'm glad you that you said that experience the woes and the joys mm-hmm. of raising special needs kids or or being involved in the lives of those who have special needs as you alluded to um your father also having special needs. I I know that there are several different areas that we can touch on in the book, but I want to talk about the seven threats uh to the emotional glue of a marriage um when you're when you're raising kids that are not that are not typical, and I also and not to double up on questions, Jolene. I know we got some time. I can <laughs> I can pace myself, as you can tell. I have a lot that I want to know. Um, I was I was kind of like um, surprised to read the term "typical kids." Um, is that the new way, or is that is that has that always been the way that we describe kids versus um, kids with spe- special needs? Typical versus kids with special needs. Well, nomenclature is always changing um, in in any of these areas. For a while, we called them uh, normal children, but Mm -hmm. then that makes you feel that, well, then are our kids with special needs and disabilities abnormal? That's not a connotation we want. And Mm -hmm. so typical has been the more uh, acceptable term to use. Sometimes you hear neurotypical. And the language is always changing. So right now, um, they're kids with disabilities or special needs, and they're typical siblings. So okay. that answers that question. It, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just wait. In a year, it'll be different. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you are um, so and right. And then those, those strains that families face, a parent face, so they're raising kids with disabilities and special needs. There, as you mentioned, there are seven of them. One, of course, is time. And that's a struggle whenever you have a new baby in your household. It's just that when you're caring for a child with disabilities and special needs, they need more care longer. And so what we all experience in our child is, you know, from newborn to age three, these families may experience for a longer period of time. So they don't have as much time for each other as uh, most families do. Also, there are a lot of financial Things that um, come to bear in a family raising kids with disabilities, there are a lot more medical appointments, treatments, um, school things that are needed, you know, um, uh, accommodations in school or extra therapy. There may be transportation needs, all sorts of things that make finances more difficult. Jolene, can I, before you continue, I want to back up to time. And and I I, I kind of want to stay there for just a second because I think that there is a component of the time um, in our marriages and in the, the spousal relationship 
that 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 involves guilt on the part of maybe the mom. Sometimes it can be the dad. More than likely, it's the mom, right? You you have a kid who has uh, special needs, and then you have a husband who has um, expected needs, right? Your husband expects your time. Your husband has things that he needs, and and there are things that have to be done for your typical kids as well. But there is an element of guilt that I think affects the mom's mental capacity to spend time in other areas. You feel like this kid just needs so much and he's already at a disadvantage and and you don't want to take anything more away from him or her. Can you speak to that? Well, I don't know if I can speak to that so much. I can speak to my own experience in that, you know, we were spending a great deal of time with our son and because of his special needs, which involved a lot of problems with the digestive system, he had a feeding tube, and he was also um, allergic to everything except breast milk, which meant that for a year, I had to pump so that he could get the nutrition he needed. Wow. So that made me very exhausted. And so my husband would stay up at night and hold our little boy in the recliner, and my husband had the wonderful ability of being able to jiggle our son and sleep in the recliner simultaneously. <laughs> that, yes, it was amazing. <laughs> Now, that was supposed to give me a break at night so I could sleep, but I lay in bed most nights feeling guilty because I was such a terrible mother right. that I was making my husband stay up with the baby <laughs> and so that I could get sleep, you know, and we both worked full-time. That wasn't the issue, but, you know, I dealt with that kind of guilt, and I think we all deal with guilt in some way or another, uh, and I think the thing we have to realize is that we just do the best we can and we muddle through. And both parents have to be willing to give 100%. And sometimes that means that we have to um, put our own needs up on the shelf for a little bit so we can meet the needs of this child who is sometimes fighting to stay alive. And we just have to do that. And then we have to enlist the people around us, create a support system, so maybe they can help with that child for a little bit so mom and dad can get away and take a break together sometimes. That's good. That's good. Okay, so let's continue on. We were talking about these seven threats to the emotional glue of our marriages. Yes, and we've gone through time. We've done financial. And the next one, interestingly enough, is guilt and grief. Uh, and, and the guilt sometimes is what I just described and that you brought up. Um, but we can also feel guilty because we are grieving. And we think, as parents of a child who's living, that we should not be grieving because we all know of other people who have lost their children, Mm -hmm. and they're the only ones with the right to grieve. That's what we think, but that's not true. We are made to grieve when we have a loss, and parents who are raising children with disabilities and special needs have lost the dream they had of raising a typical child. Mm -hmm. What they thought parenthood was going to be like isn't what it's like. And so even though our child is still with us, we grieve the loss that we've experienced. And the guilt comes in even more when one spouse processes the guilt more, or the grief more quickly than the other parent does. And so one parent will feel guilty for having grief more quickly, and the other will feel guilty for you know, still being stuck in their grief when the other parent is moved on. And, and that can create a lot of... Um, interrelational problems, as you can imagine, unless you're able to communicate well and effectively with your spouse about how you're feeling. So that's the third strain. Another one is isolation. 
parents are taking so much time in the caregiving and they can't get out as much as their child that they become isolated from the social group and friends and even family that they had before the birth of the child. Another issue is geographic separation. Sometimes one parent has to travel with the child to get medical treatment or whatever kind of treatment. Our son was life flighted 750 miles away from where he was born to have surgery, and I was able to go with him. But my husband had to eventually go back and go back to work, so that separation can be difficult. For us, it was only a few weeks. For some parents, it's months and, and even you know years with interspersed visits. Worry is another big issue for parents. They worry about if their child is going to die and what they mm. need to do to have the best care for their child. And they worry about what if their child outlives them and the child mm. has to go on with after the parents have died. Mm-hmm. Then who's going to take care of that child? Will there be enough resources for them? So there's a lot that parents worry about. And then finally, there is a lack of support. And this kind of goes along with the isolation one. Because uh, sometimes family, friends, even relatives don't know what to do, and so they kind of draw back because they aren't sure what to offer, if, if their offer of help will be accepted or seen as an insult or whatever. And so there is that lack of support. People don't know what to do. They don't know how to help, and so they just don't do anything. And for parents with children that need a lot of extra care, they need more support, not less support. Mm-hmm. So all those things can combine in some format or another to create some significant strains on families. Let's stay there for a second uh, on, on the topic of support. So for, for family and for friends listening who go, you know, well, I, I know my sister's son or my cousin's daughter or something, and, and they go, but I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And they almost kind of wrestle with a little bit of guilt themselves because they don't know how mm-hmm. to get in mm-hmm. and, and they don't want to be offensive. Can you, can you speak to that for a little bit? Like maybe someone's listening and they say, well, I would like to be a support, but I... I don't know where to begin. How should they approach that? Yes, one of the best ways to approach it, and I love to talk about this topic, uh, one of the best ways to approach it is to think, um, when my children were very little, what did I appreciate the most? That some offer of help or support that people gave to me. What did I appreciate the most? Often it's like a meal, (laughs) because... If somebody brings in a meal or gives you a coupon for pizza or whatever, mm-hmm. that's a night where you don't have to worry about what's put on the table for the family. Yeah. But for other people, it's like, boy, I really appreciated it when my mother came and stayed with me for a week, and while she was there, she washed all the windows, or she did this or that. Think of those things that meant the most to you when you were an active caregiver of a young child, or if for some other situation. And just offer to do those things. And the best thing to do is to be specific. Um, Make a very clear offer, like, say, you know, our kids are on the same soccer team. Would it help you out if I picked up your child for practicing games and then brought them home? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those kinds of things. I know of one woman who told her friend while her daughter was going through chemo treatment for cancer, I'm going to come every Tuesday and I'm going to strip all of your beds, do all that laundry, and remake the beds for you. You wow. don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Now, of course, they were really good friends. So yeah. That was <laughs> <laughs> let me do this. But, let, let me do this, Jolie. we got to grab the break. We come back and we'll pick up and hear and, and talk about how to express 
the love languages or how to meet the needs of your kids with various love languages who also have special needs. Jolene Philo is our guest. We'll take the break and we'll be right back. the great you sure do know how to bring us back from a break don't you <laughs> i mean i try I, man. I mean you really just you just kind of know right you're like this is what i do mika <laughs> you don't call me mika no but, i don't uh, and i'm grateful that would be for weird. that that would be weird yes. the people call me who don't know me but it's okay i answer to it i answer to hey you <laughs> we, we have five kids if if i answer to other people's kids saying mom <laughs> I do. I yeah. turn around in stores and mama, I turn. I just, I don't know. It's instinctive. Um, anyway, welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Really do appreciate you listening. Let me say congratulations to Robert, who was listening to us in Bald Knob, Arkansas, was the seventh caller in the last segment. And congratulations to Debbie, who's in Camden, Arkansas, was caller number 12. You picked up copies of Sharing Love Abundantly and Special Needs Families, the five love languages for parents raising children with disabilities. It is co-authored by our guest today, Jolene Philo, uh, and Dr. Gary Chapman of the five love languages himself. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're going to continue our discussion. But before we do that, I want to give away two more copies in this segment. The phone line or the phone number for your chance to win is 888-589-8840. You'd like to pick up a copy of this book as a resource. Uh, caller number three and caller number 10 will get copies. Caller number three and caller number 10 will get copies. 888-589-8840. I just want to go right back into it, make the most of the time that we have with Jolene Philo. And um, I guess I was wondering, um, because, Will, you and I haven't gone mm -hmm. through the five love languages yeah. for our marriage and understanding how to relate to one another. I'm trying to understand the breakdown of this and how we learn the love languages of our kids who have special needs. Some of them, in fact, are nonverbal. Mm -hmm. And so it's really difficult to understand what our kids with special needs actually need and how they respond to love. Uh, Jolene, how do we approach this as parents? Sure, that's a really good question. And it was one of my biggest questions when I started working on this book. And so what I did was uh, I interviewed 40 families who were raising children with special needs and were already using the love languages with their children. So I, that was my, one of my first questions was, how did you figure out the love language of your child? And what I found out was that most of them used the technique, at least started with the techniques that Dr. Chapman outlines in his book. And what he says is that between the ages of birth and about five years old, you should just use all the love languages with your kids. And those are words of affirmation, mm. quality time, receiving and giving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Mm. So we should be using those with young children, all the gifts with all of them, because they need all of them. Then, as they get a little older, the best thing to do is to just observe those children, especially mm. if they're nonverbal. And try using some of the different love languages with the kids. So maybe for two weeks, two words of affirmation. 
and see how your child responds. And if they respond very positively and that that love language motivates them, maybe you found their love language. And write down what you see during that time. Then spend a week or two doing quality time and each of the others. And at the end of that time period, you probably are going to have a pretty good idea of which one of those your child gravitates toward. And if you're still not sure, and especially if your child is nonverbal or has difficulty communicating, then ask yourself these questions. What, which of the love languages calms my child? Which one motivates my child? And which one is where my child, or the kinds of things my child chooses to do with his or her own time? And when you've answered those questions, you probably will have that child's uh, primary love language. Another thing to remember is to kind of keep in mind your child's developmental age. So if your child's disability or special needs is an intellectual or emotional um, delay kind of thing, you will want to think of where they are um, developmentally rather than chronologically mm-hmm. and good. apply the methods for their, their developmental age rather than their chronological age. That is excellent. I, yeah. I really appreciate that. I, I got to wow. tell you, and well, I because we're, we're looking at each other yeah. and we're thinking the same thing. We have a kid who has special needs, who is developing differently, mm-hmm. and um, it has been such a learning curve. We have learned to interact with him by interacting with him yeah. and just watching him and observing. And I, I, I got to tell you, it, it was almost like a, a breathtaking moment for me to hear you say, use all of the love languages. <laughs> like just, you know, just to, I mean, it's one of those things where it just, it just lifts the weight off your shoulder where you just express love to your kid in all these different ways and observe um, how they respond. And mm. I think that that is so refreshing to parents because we're like, man, we don't want to mess up. You know what I mean? We, <laughs> we want to get this right. And so I, I really do appreciate that. Um, so, so let me ask you this. Is it possible that a kid's love language changes? Let's say you walk through these steps and you go through this process where, um, maybe it's words of affirmation. We have noticed in our son that when we commend him for mm-hmm. what he does well, he says, what, what, what? He right. wants more of that. Right. He's like, say it again. Say, say it, it again. again. <laughs> he says, you know, we say it's such a good job you did picking up your room. He goes, what, what, what? Right. And, and it means it just say more of that. <laughs> and so we've learned to affirm him because he really responds to that. Is it possible that we could expect that to maybe change over time? Well, Dr. Chapman says that no, our love languages don't change. But he also acknowledges that circumstances can, for a while, make one love language more important than another. And one of the places I've seen this play out the most is if you have a child that has to go into the hospital, even though their primary love language is not physical touch, there may be a time when they're in the hospital where they want they need physical touch more than anything else. They mm-hmm. want to hold your hand. Mm-hmm. They want you to cuddle with them. Our son always used to like it if we would rub his cheek, which is something mm-hmm. we did in the hospital with him when he was very, very young. Mm-hmm. And that kind of carried over to any time he was upset, he wanted his cheek rubbed. So if for a while physical touch is what's most important to them, Dr. Chapman says, by all means, use that love language with them. If at another time, like with your child, words of affirmation are most important, Pour it on. If they need quality time for a while because you've been away and you've come back, then give them a lot of quality time. So it can be somewhat circumstantial, though their primary love language overall will probably remain that primary one. You know, and I remember what I remember from uh, reading Dr. Chapman's book and, and learning about myself was that my perception of 
the way Will felt about me overall was really based on um, maybe a lack of my love language being spoken, right? So like acts of service is something that really makes me feel like my love tank is full. But when it is empty, right? And I know that this is not a counseling show, Jolene, so don't worry. <laughs> she's, she's like, Miki, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> um, but, but, but my point is I would start to feel like he doesn't care about me because I'm not feeling loved in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what that looks like in a special needs kid's life. Like it, can they be on empty and then maybe be acting out or responding in a way that, man, we need to fill their love tank with their love language? Yes, I think that's true for kids with disabilities and special needs. It's also true for all children. Mm-hmm. If their love tanks are empty, they are going to be acting out and having issues that they don't when they feel loved and unconditionally loved. So it really is important for us, if we can, to figure out a child's primary love language and speak that. But it's also important for us to teach them about the other love languages and learn that other people will speak to them in that language. So those kids can then also learn to accept love in all the different languages and hopefully give love to other people, express their own love in those different languages too. That's really good. Yeah, I'm wondering also true. too, should, should we teach the five love languages to the siblings of kids mm. with special needs? Like should, should the typical kids learn how to respond to their siblings who have special needs? Absolutely. And, you know, because at some point, those siblings are closer in age to their their siblings with special needs and disabilities. They may be the ones who are most involved in that child's life Mm -hmm. throughout their life. So if they can learn how to express love to each other when they're younger, that's going to carry on into adulthood. And the thing I would say is that we do need to actively teach. We can't assume that because they have typical abilities, they're just going to pick that up. They're kids. They need That's us right. to teach them. They need us to model it. They need us to guide us, them. So we need to inform them of their siblings' love language, and then we need to show them how we express that, and then encourage them to express it, help them practice, give them feedback, and then encourage them when we see them naturally starting to speak their siblings' love language, just like we do with any other skill. That's great. I I just have a sense that there are people who are listening that find this conversation very, very helpful. Oh, yeah. You know, as as I'm listening, we have a (laughs) a special needs son. I'm thinking like, man, this is so, so helpful. Thank you for writing uh, this book. Uh, Where can our listeners uh, find your book? And uh, maybe if you have a website or anything that you would like to give. Sure. My website is called differentdream.com, so you can go there to www.differentdream.com, and there is a book section, so you can go in there and you can click on the links if you want to order online. You can also find it on Amazon, and you should be able to find it at your local bookstore, which I always encourage people to do, or they can order it. Um, So those are great places to find it. They can also contact me if they want. Uh, through my website, and if they would like signed copies or anything, I can help them with that. Awesome. Uh, what is the right expectation um, on the part of parents of typical children when navigating their siblings with special needs? Like, you know, there's a certain frustration that I think um, a typical kid experience, experiences when they're just trying to navigate just just normal interaction yeah. sibling style, right? Yeah. I mean, but when you have a kid that has special needs right. and there's kind of an added 
level to that. And, you know, I often find in our home, mm-hmm. we're struggling with the dynamic. You, you, you want to meet the needs of your special needs kid, but you also want to acknowledge that your typical kid is frustrated. And, and your for typical, the typical kid yeah. to understand that, that that dynamic as well. Yeah. Because sometimes they can get frustrated and like, you know, well, why does this kid always uh, get or this? Or that's not fair. Or that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand that as both as a parent and as a child when I was an active caregiver for my father. Um, there's those unfair things that we're talking about. There's that time and energy parents have to put towards the child with disabilities and special needs. And so sometimes the typical child feels left out. And sometimes parents expect a great deal of typical siblings. You know, they enlist them in the role of caregivers. Mm. Um and, and that's okay to a point. But as parents, we have to realize that the typical siblings are still children. Mm-hmm. And they have the same needs all children have, and we need to meet their needs. So we need to not make them constant caregivers. We need to give them space to play and be carefree and just enjoy life and not feel responsible all the time. That's good. Yeah. And we also need to spend time with them. We have to figure out a way to spend time just with them, paying attention to them, speaking their love languages, and and meeting their needs. And it can be done pretty easily just by often asking one of those kids to go along with you when you run errands and have the other parents stay home with the child who has special needs. Hmm. In the moments that we have left, I, I want to get this question in and get your take on it. How <laughs> much do parents of kids with special needs need to accommodate people who are unfamiliar with their family. I found myself in situations where because my my son, our son does not have any immediate physical um, disabilities that people would immediately recognize. Okay, so so they know what they're getting, but it is it's an intellectual delay that he has. Um, I often feel like I need to buffer for him, that I need to tell people this is what's going on. They ask him questions because he's five, but, you know, he doesn't function like a typical five-year-old. And, and, and they ask him questions, and then maybe he growls or he screams. And, you know, and so I find myself almost sort of like with the dustpan and the broom trying to clean up and make sure that people understand, do I need to do that or do I need to just, just let him be who he is? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> Sometimes you do need to that and sometimes you need to just let him be who he is but you need to be ready I think at all times to to um, help people better understand why your child behaves the way he does and then help them understand how to interact with him I've seen that handled in a bunch of ways some parents have just little cards they carry especially if they have a child with maybe autism who melts down sometimes and they call them meltdown cards mm-hmm. so if the child's having a meltdown the parent has these cards and just can stand them out goes on with mm-hmm. it better it's kind kind of scaring um so that's one way to handle it another way is that if someone asks questions uh encourage people and especially children to ask those questions and if you need to answer them, fine. If your child can answer them, that's fine, too. Oh, that's but then in addition to that, go beyond the disability and say, you know what? My son is dealing with this, so he isn't able to use words like you do. But I bet you have a favorite superhero. Who's your favorite superhero? Mm-hmm. Well, my son's favorite superhero is such and such. Look at that. Mm-hmm. You have something in common. You both like superheroes. 
Jolene, this has been great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. The book is Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities, co-authored by Dr. Gary Chapman and Jolene Philo. I want to say congratulations to Maria from Mechanicsville, Virginia, and Dana from Columbia, Mississippi, who both picked up copies in this segment. We're out of time for today. It's been great to be with you. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.